I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Thomas. He has terminal cancer and was one of the first Canadians granted legal access to use psilocybin as a therapeutic to treat end-of-life distress. Let's talk about it. Saying this to Thomas, our guest today, before uh, before you guys got here, Brian Taylor, and what I was saying to Thomas was, I am, I am over the moon with elation uh, to dive into this conversation in particular, and I've been excited for this for quite a while. Uh, Thomas, I, we're just going to dive right into it. You, uh, Thomas Hartle, uh, you are one of the first uh, and one of the only uh, Canadians who have been granted the right to use psilocybin uh, as a form of therapy to treat anxiety associated with uh, end-stage cancer. Correct me, is end-stage cancer, is that correct? Or like, I guess like stage four cancer? Stage four. That is, yeah. uh, that is the deal. Yeah. Um, so so for, if that went over anyone's head, psilocybin, the other word that you could use for that is magic mushrooms. Uh, the the psychedelic um, that grows out of the ground in patties of poop sometimes. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, Thomas, the reason I'm so excited about this is because um, I'm a I'm a massive advocate for the use of psychedelics. Um, I think that they I think that they play or that they should be playing a a much larger role in society than they currently do for a number of different reasons. But this is one this is one particular reason where I think that it most certainly should hold a place in society. And um I guess I guess the first thing why don't f- f- just to give people a bit of like context in, into who you are. We can't they can't see you. I I can. Um why don't you why don't you lay out who it is who are you? Who is who is Thomas Hartle. <laughs> the, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, right? <laughs> well, I am a uh, 52-year-old uh, father of two. I uh, live in Saskatoon. I am a uh, professional nerd, so I uh, do IT stuff. I have been very much into computers since I was about 11 years old, which is probably longer than some of you guys have been alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, have lived a, uh, you know, relatively boring life as far as, uh, you know, drugs and psychedelics and stuff are concerned. I literally didn't use anything aside from, you know, maybe, uh, you know, uh, occasional uh, social drinking and stuff. But uh, up until I was 48 and got my cancer diagnosis, I have been uh, very boring on this whole uh, psychedelic and and, uh, plant medicine scene. Mm. What what was it? Do you remember the first time you heard about... Um, the use of psychedelic, the the use of psychedelics for medicinal purposes, and and like what inspired you to kind of look further into that? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when you first hear this, right? You know, uh, taking psychedelics, and and of course everything that you have heard. Well, everything I heard growing up was uh, very negative about any kind of psychedelics. You know, yeah. LSD and stuff like that. If you if you took that, you were pretty much scratching the bottom. You know. Yeah. yeah. You're gonna so, fry your brain. Exactly. Yeah, this is yeah, your yeah, brain on drugs, right? Yeah. I, I grew up with that. You know, you're gonna jump out a window or something. Yeah. And uh, straight up reading the the fact that they were even trying it for something like that sounded kind of wacky but when you start reading the actual research that they're doing you know it it sort of sounds less wacky you know yeah Yeah, like when when you start when you when you actually i mean when, when you when you actually dig into what's actually going on versus like the signal versus the noise if you will you know separating those two things from each other Mm -hmm. i am curious it's sorry, but like I am curious about how like how does a a self proclaimed forty eight year old computer nerd end up like even reading about this stuff though like as somebody who has been kind of hasn't like like I'm I'm the type of person who started smoking weed when I was I don't know eighteen years old mm-hmm. got into trying mushrooms out recreationally but like you know recreationally but you know, what I thought at the time was for like spiritual purposes too. Not like party, and, not like party not like, wise, not party, but you know, but, but I'm the type of person that would like, I, I think when I think of like kind of looking into the research and reading about these <laughs> things, it w- I would normally think of the, that it would be somebody like me who has experience, um, at least mm-hmm. to some extent recreationally with these drugs. But for you, how, like, how did you start reading about these things and come across this? Yeah. You know, some of that was, uh, pure chance. So I've been through uh, a few rounds of chemotherapy now. Uh, so I had uh, my first bout back in 2016. And uh, the type of chemotherapy that they had me on causes what's called neuropathy. I don't know whether you guys mm. have heard that or not, but you, you lose the feeling in your fingers and toes and stuff. And uh, I was looking for ways of treating that. And I was going through some of the stuff they have in traditional Chinese medicine and some studies they were doing in Japan on uh, people who actually had uh, uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm-hmm. And they were looking at the uh, neurogenic properties of uh, lion's mane mushrooms. Yeah. And uh, so I was researching into those mushrooms and uh, some of the, the reishi and, and shaga for their uh, immune uh, boosting properties. And while you are doing research for cancer and mushrooms, you come across the mushrooms at the Johns Hopkins study. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly how I found it. And, uh, you know, as at the time when I, I did that research, that was one of those ones where I, I wasn't having any problems with anxiety and you just kind of file it away in the back of your head. And a couple of years later, I, uh, I had a recurrence of my cancer and, uh, you know, the anxiety scene was a little bit different at that time. So right. can, can we, before we dive like into the, the you know the world of mushrooms and and the use of psychedelics uh, as a, as an alternative form of therapy. Can we can we? Um, I I would love to know a little bit more of your your cancer story. Um, what what kind of cancer were you were you originally diagnosed with, and 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 when was that? Um, how, how did how did that all come to be? Yeah, so I guess uh, you know probably uh, twenty sixteen would be where we would pick up our journey. Uh, I had been having some uh, abdominal issues in 2015 that kind of carried through to 2016. 
uh, wound up having uh, what they thought was Crohn's disease at the time. Right. And uh, I had a partial intestinal blockage that was giving me some trouble. Uh, in 2016, that turned into a complete intestinal blockage. Did you have so, intussusception? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that, like, did you did, actually have an intussusception? Is it, was I that have what it was? no idea what intussusception oh, yeah. is. You know, <laughs> we're probably not don't worry saying about, it right. Don't worry but it's about it. Possibly yeah. what you had. That, that sounds a lot like uh, cranial <laughs> rectal inversion, but uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Intussusception. <laughs> we're not saying it right, but it's when your uh, Jeremy explains it as when your, is your intestines is. start to roll. Your small intestine starts to roll into your large intestine, like. Like if you roll up socks, <laughs> yeah, it's very yeah. bad, very, very dangerous. No, did not have that one. But uh, where the uh, ileocecal valve is, so where the small intestine joins onto the large intestine, yeah. uh, that sealed completely shut. Yeah, right. So uh, anything that you eat or drink goes in, comes out the same way. Right. Well, obviously causes some problems pretty quickly, I imagine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so was that the was that the was that the the like the moment that was the the trigger for surgery for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so they figured they were going to be going in uh, quick bowel resection, couple hour surgery, zip zap, you're out. Uh, not the way things actually turned out. The uh, two hour surgery turned into a six hour surgery, and uh, they found uh, stage four cancer at that time. So I have been stage four since 2016. Holy shit. Wow. And and that was like stage four um, uh, colon cancer or? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So mine is a a little bit weird. It's a poorly differentiated neuroendocrine adenocarcinoma. Sure, wow. of they, course. Yeah, yes, they really yes, went yes, with, yes. Uh, they really yeah, the word count on that yeah. one. I feel yeah, like they, I they to, did. I feel like I have to ask this question every time we talk to somebody who um, has lived with cancer. But the the stage thing always throws me off. But what what does stage four mean? Sure. So, like, if you get to stage one, that's uh, small cancer, nothing else involved, hasn't penetrated very deep in the tissue, and as you progress further up the stages then it gets deeper into the tissue and other organs involved. Mm. So in my particular instance, it's uh, the cancer has reached the small intestine, large intestine, the lymph nodes, and the peritoneal tissue. So is, if so you... Is, is, correct me if I'm wrong. Is the colon <laughs> basically the small intestine, large intestine, is the colon like all of those things? Uh, well, I mean, the small intestine is small intestine. Colon is basically colon what is they call the large intestine. Large intestine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But um, they they call it colon cancer because it's everything that's in that sort of area. Okay. So so to receive, you know, you come out of that surgery and you you know you're you're probably expecting to wake up and and for them to go, yeah, but you you've got a couple little scars in your belly and <laughs> you can now go home and poop regularly, like everything's all good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what in, actually what actually happens? Yeah, yeah. You, instead, you wake you get up from the something. surgery and you got yeah. an ileostomy bag on you, and uh, oh wow! Oh, by the way, you got cancer. Oh wow! Yeah. Double whammy. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you weren't expecting the 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 ostomy, eh? No, like that, you were going in, going. I'm not going to come out with an ostomy. Everything's going to be okay. But then you come out, bag on your hip, and you're told you have cancer. Yeah, stage, stage four, four. right yeah. away. Like, yeah. right I away, mean, like, the... how how did did that did that fuck you up? You know, like like what was the well? I mean, because you, you were saying the... that the the anxiety <laughs> wasn't so bad until the 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 recurrence, right? So, like, what was yeah. your what was your mental health like 
in that in those first initial stages? You know, the the first go around with cancer, um, I was really I did my research. I was very pumped about it. I've got my supplements. I'm doing my surgery. I got my chemotherapy, and I figure I got this right. Right. That's uh, that's the way I go at stuff. You know, I I, I got this, and. Uh, Finished the first surgery. I did 12 rounds of chemotherapy. I went in for a second surgery, which uh, included a high-pec procedure. That's the uh, uh, high-temperature intraperitoneal uh, chemotherapy. So they, they pump your belly full of hot chemotherapy, and they let you soak and pickle for a little while. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, it's supposed to get uh, at tumors that, ha- that are in areas that have a lower blood flow. So uh, peritoneal cancer is... Um, kind of notorious for not having a good blood supply so traditional chemotherapy Mm. doesn't get to it very well Mm. so they they put the chemo directly into the abdominal cavity to try to address it that way Mm. so i did that and uh the the surgeon who performed that procedure on me said you know congratulations we can't see anything else in there you're you're cancer free so uh Spent and the how, next uh, two years getting uh, completely clear PET scans. So uh, at no time has my cancer ever shown up on a PET scan, ever. So how did it, how did it come back? What was, the, like, what, what was the date where they said, uh, it's back and it's, it's really not looking good? Yeah, so I started uh, in 20, uh, 2019, I started having some issues with my hemoglobin being low. Uh, I happen to know what low hemoglobin feels like because I have had it at uh, different times, right? I was going to say, like, how do you know? <laughs> how, yeah, how you you run out that? of gas really easy. You know, it's, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. You, you don't have any air. Mm. Uh, hemoglobin is what carries the oxygen in your uh, blood supply. So okay. if, you're, mm. if your hemoglobin's messed up, then, you know, you get winded walking up the stairs. Sure. Mm. So <clears throat> I, I know what that feels like, and I went to my family doctor, and, uh, you know, I, I get a, a clear PET scan every uh, three to six months. Uh, my doctor sends me in for a colonoscopy and they, uh, put the scope up there and, uh, be damned if I don't have a couple of bleeding tumors on my large intestine that do not show up on the scans. Right. Whoa. So, why, uh, why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they show up on a PET scan? The density of the tumors is about the same as the density of the surrounding tissues. So okay. on a, on a, on a CT scan, most of the cancer that I have is invisible doesn't show up at all on a pet scan uh metabolically my cancer is so slow that it also does not absorb the radioactive sugar the way that most cancer cells do so it's invisible on pet scans uh my blood work comes back completely normal so i guess the answer to the question of where did my anxiety come from on the second round is i've been having literally years worth of completely clear scans. Yeah. And then I find out I've got a couple of tumors. They schedule me for surgery to uh, take out the rest of my large intestine. And uh, when they opened me up for my third surgery, uh, the cancer was actually so extensive in there that they just closed me back up again. Oh, my oh, gosh. Wow. So um, uh, they they divide the abdominal cavity up into, I believe it's 51 or 52 different areas that they look at surgically, and I have uh, tumors in 42 of those. Oh, wow. So, wow. so basically, so, like, that, that, that process of 
of going in, looking and seeing that, and then going, mm, let's just sew them back up. Like that, that yeah. was, that's essentially them saying we, we've exhausted all options Surgically. in terms of healing or, or removing the cancer. Yeah. And that's yeah. about as far as we can go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He, wow. he said that, uh, you know, if, if he tried to remove, uh, everything that had a tumor on it, he'd have mm. to take out my whole digestive system. Right. So. So, okay, so, you know, you, you had mentioned earlier that, that Johns Hopkins University, um, they had done, uh, uh, they had been doing studies uh, with patients um, using psilocybin as a treatment to, um, to aid them through the process of, of mentally um, wrapping their heads around end of life. <laughs> and um, uh, I know that in Canada... Uh, up until well, it's been what like a month and a half ago. There, there hasn't been anyone who's been approved to actually go down this route of 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 testing this out or trying this out. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and that's where Therapsil comes in. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe you can give us a, a heads up on on who Therapsil is and and how how did you how did you come to get involved with them directly? Like, did they find you or did you find them? <laughs> oh, I, I definitely found them. Uh... I was uh, very fortunate in uh, finding them fairly soon after they uh, kind of formed up. It was uh, very convenient for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I, I, of course, had found that uh, psilocybin was a thing. And uh, I had sort of come back to it, seeing as how I, I now had problems with anxiety that uh, were uh, really messing with my quality of life. Right. Started looking for some place that I could get psilocybin. So is there anybody who is doing a study or, you know, anybody who has uh, psilocybin you can buy or sign up uh, for like a a back alley therapy or something, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah. So I started hunting for that and uh, came across Theracil and they were exactly the people that I needed to see because they knew who I needed to talk to, the format for emails, uh, you know, the types of questions mm. that I was going to be asked, things like that. And for me, you know, 100% exactly the people I needed at the time. Yes. And Theracil, for, for those who don't know, it's a, it's a coalition of... of it's a, it's um, a, I'm sorry. I didn't no, even no, explain no, who they were. No, no, it's okay. Ther- I mean, Theracil you, you is go for a, it. Yeah. Uh, Theracil is a uh, patient advocacy group mm-hmm. that uh, works with coordinating between people looking for... Uh, compassionate use of psilocybin as a psychotherapeutic tool uh, for mm-hmm. end-of-life distress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thomas, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, I, I imagine that as a, um, again, self-proclaimed computer nerd, I imagine that you're somebody who's quite uh, logical in, in thinking. And I'm wondering if, like, as soon as you realize that you were feeling anxious and you had the data from this study from Johns Hopkins... Was that enough for you to go, okay, um, I'm feeling this way. There's data that shows that this stuff works. That's mm-hmm. enough for me to want to try this, even though you might have been the person, type of person with reservations against using psychedelics? That is exactly the way it works. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally, if, I mean, the, the studies in John Hopkins, they were, they were showing 80% success rates. Wow. Like 80, Which is astounding. 80%. Yeah. yeah. What, I, I mean, what did, what did the anxiety look like though? Like what, what made it so like, I'm, I'm assuming that you're obviously looking for an intervention because it's something that is, is so bad that it's taking away from your quality of life. What did that look like? Yeah. 
Well, if you want, you know, something uh, numerical, you can look at. Uh, prior to doing my psilocybin therapy, I did a. Uh, they do um, tests to see where your levels of anxiety and things are sitting at, and uh, mine was sitting at a thirty-six. Uh, Twenty-five is considered extreme on this particular test. Wow. So, uh, for me, what that looks like is, uh, waking up every day at four o'clock in the morning and not getting to sleep after that. Uh, some days you, uh, can't leave a quiet, dark room because you just can't handle any amount of input. Other days you have, uh, other days you have, um, where you can't not be around people just in case something happens, you know? Is mm. that, uh, is that uh, gas pain <coughs> that you feel going to be uh, an intestinal split? Mm -hmm. That it, is the cancer it? clinic. <clears throat> you can take we are recording here. here. Yeah, is yeah, it yeah, okay? Yeah. Feel free, yeah, feel free to take sure, it. Yeah. Take it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're doing their COVID screening. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Sandra. Yes, uh, this phone is going to go dead, so I will do this very quickly. I haven't been anywhere. I don't have any fever. I am completely fine. <laughs> Literally nothing is different. I'm good. Nope. Have not traveled. Have not gathered. No problem. See you guys tomorrow. Sorry. That was both phones. They uh, have not traveled. Yeah. Not traveled. Were you, uh, did, you, did you have to recently uh, have a test or, or were you out of the, out of the province for a bit? Uh, well, I got uh, chemotherapy tomorrow. Oh. And uh, anytime you go into the cancer center, they got to screen you right, before you right go in. Yeah. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Right, of course. But, oddly enough, they <laughs> don't want people with COVID coming into the cancer center. Weird, I know. Yeah, you don't say there's um uh, there's there's something that um that that really so um uh I, I watched the the documentary um Fantastic uh, Fungi uh, oh, yeah. last that night. Oh yeah. That's good. Yeah. And so um and and I and I've also I've also read uh Michael Pollan's book uh How to Change Your Mind. Yep. And they you know they talk about especially in Michael Pollan's book they extensive uh, extensively talking about Use of psychedelics in um, end of life um, uh, treatment for for end of life and anxiety and depression and um, and something that really stuck out that sticks out to me is and actually in the in in the documentary Michael Pollan says this is this is the this is uh, the reason why it makes a poor business model for uh, for pharmaceutical companies mm -hmm. is because you take it it gives you an experience mm -hmm. which actually can alter the way that you feel and think after the fact yes. versus a, uh, versus a, 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 a more pharmaceutical sort of drug that, that, that treats for a period of time for the period mm -hmm. of time that it is within your system. It is treating it. But when it's, but when that is, when that has exhausted itself, you return mm -hmm. to feeling the way that you did. Yes. Um, and the, the point of fascination comes from, you being able to sit there and tell us 
how it felt to feel the way you did mm-hmm. when you started this treatment. What is the tre- What does the treatment look like? And sure. what was the first experience like for you? Yeah. And what was the change or the things that you felt after? Absolutely. So when we're going to compare uh, psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy to uh, just using regular antidepressants and things like that, mm. what you're looking at as a difference is a, a standard antidepressant will change the way you feel. Uh, as in, uh, in my experience, it makes you feel numb. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like the psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy changes the way that you think. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not a matter of uh, it has not taken away the fact that I have cancer. It has not taken away the fact that I can't do anything about it. What it has done is to clear away how I feel about it, the way mm. that I think about it, uh, in terms <laughs> of uh, cluttered head and busy thoughts. Mm-hmm. So... Prior to actually taking the psilocybin, there are a number of uh, getting to know you sort of sessions between me and my therapist. So establishing trust, rapport, uh, making sure that I'm even a candidate to take this because there are definitely some conditions where it's a bad idea to take a psychedelic, mm-hmm. right? So if you've got, uh, you know, uh, bipolarism or schizophrenia or any of these conditions where you are uh, reality challenged, Mm-hmm. You mm. probably don't want something that's going to further challenge that. Yeah. Right. So yeah, they do some mm. uh, some uh, investigations to make sure that you are uh, a good candidate and uh, establish what you are expecting to get out of it. So mm. realistic expectations. And that comes to uh, speak to that set and setting that people always talk about, you know, right. your, your mindset going into it and uh, whether what you expect to get out of it is a reasonable thing. Uh, for me, I was kind of hoping to get uh, one of three things. So I've heard people uh, talk about uh, this idea that uh, the nature of the universe is love, right? That uh, would have been an acceptable outcome to, to know what they're talking about. Uh, Another outcome that would have been okay is a feeling of connectedness to everything. That Mm. would have been okay too. And uh, the third thing I was kind of hoping for, I've heard people talk about the idea that the the idea of death is ridiculous. And, of course, I have no frame of reference for that either. (laughs) You know, what what the heck are you talking about with that? So Mm. I was kind of hoping to get one of those three things out of it. Mm. And uh, so the day of, um, so morning, uh, we've got a spare room in my house set up for that. And uh, nice, comfortable environment, a few pictures of family. I have uh, my therapist on one side. I've got uh, a good friend of mine who's a sitter sitting you know, to hold space for me on another side. And a camera crew from Theracil recording the event, which is not what you normally see in these sessions, mm-hmm. but I mm. definitely wanted that, to... That uh, could be a potentially <laughs> intimidating for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good at ignoring stuff, so, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, so about 11.30 in the morning, I take my, uh, my first dose of that. So uh, I have decided, for me, uh, taking by full dose in increments is uh, a little less anxiety-inducing than the sledgehammer approach. Sure. 
So I took what, what uh, does what what is what the dosage? dosage look like? Do you know? Do you know? Like, do you know off offhand what the dosage actually like works what out I took? to be? Yeah. Uh, total or yeah, yeah, the total uh, dosage. Total of seven grams. Seven. Okay. Wow. Well, yeah. Over, seven, over, I was going to say over how over how long of a period of time? An hour and a half. <clears throat> oh wow! For me, that's wow, like okay. That's like three pieces of bread with peanut butter and mushrooms crushed up on it. That's about <laughs> seven grams. Good frame, that's, great uh, frame of reference, <clears throat> Brian. Yeah, so, so that I mean that that like that's that would be considered a pretty like that's you know Terrence that's McKenna, a big dose like that that's a that's, that's a, a heroic yeah. dose it is yeah. of of mushrooms and for anyone who for anyone out there who hasn't done mushrooms before or or isn't familiar um, that would be that would be uh, <laughs> like anything over if, anything over two <laughs> is like pretty significantly altered if yeah. you if you weren't if you weren't taking uh, psychedelics for any reason uh, a, a, for for the the reasons that Thomas was taking them for whatever reason which is technically illegal and we do not uh, condone illegal activity uh, that would me. be that would be a lot <laughs> to take Jer we have talked so much about mushrooms and I've never heard you ever say. <laughs> It's illegal, and we don't condone illegal activity. <laughs> we have talked so hey, openly about taking mushrooms Listen, on so many occasions. Hey, we're on the CBC now, so I can't. I can't just openly <laughs> yeah. talk about my my love for LSD. Anyway, moving forward. Also, we, um, also, we don't want to. We don't want to recreationalize this. Like we, no, there no, is, no, this is like such important medicinal mm-hmm. properties to this that like we don't want to mm-hmm. trivialize mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, for me, like, I I believe I have been really consistent whenever I've been talking to uh, to folks like you online that uh, I very much uh, am in favor of the use of psychedelics for therapeutic purposes, mm-hmm. but um, really. <clears throat> in favor of the therapeutic emphasis on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I still am not a person who does, you know, drugs recreationally. I mm-hmm. I take, you know, really copious amounts of cannabis to deal with my chemotherapy symptoms. Mm-hmm. But you know, at the same time, it's not something I consider fun and recreational mm-hmm. any right. more than mm-hmm. I would consider, you know, the psilocybin fun right. and recreational. Yeah. Although I have a lot of people who assure me that they think it is. Uh, I'm right. I am here to really advocate for the healing aspect of yeah. this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which it very much is. So you, I, so coming back to that. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming back to that, um, uh, you you over the over the span of an hour and a half, you took seven grams. Now, is that in like dried mushroom? Uh, yeah. So, or, or is it capsulized? Um. So you can't just go out and buy this stuff on you know uh, pharmacy or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I had to grow my own mushrooms. Oh no shit! Oh wow! Whoa. Cool. Yeah. Wow, so okay, yeah, I, interesting. I mean, you you, you don't want to go out and get something that's uh, you know laced with fentanyl or something, right? Yeah, yeah I would have thought so, that you. I thought that it would have been provided by by the psychotherapist. I, I don't know. By, I don't know. By yeah. yeah, by the therapist or by Theracil, yeah. Maybe. It yeah, is or, literally yeah. illegal in Canada, so wow. there is literally no one who can provide that to me. Wow. Wow. Okay. wow. So interesting. you know, uh, you can buy a. I, mushroom spores, which of course don't sure. contain any psilocybin, mm-hmm. and from those spores you can make mushrooms. But as soon as you make a mushroom, that mushroom is illegal. Right, right, right. right. So I, I grew my own uh, psilocybe cubensis. If uh, anybody's curious about the strain, and uh, dried those out. You uh, desiccate them, turn it into a powder and a coffee maker, and I encapsulate those. Mm. So that one happens to encapsulate pretty conveniently to quarter gram capsules in a double O size. 
Sure. And so, and it, were you saying that your 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 psychotherapist was there with you, or was this was yes. it was it, okay? Yes. And so, so, so yeah, I like one thing that I I really I'm I'm really curious to know is like the what does what does this look like? You know, like what does the um are you are you because I I know that the the high of especially the high of something like seven dried grams of mushrooms mm-hmm. is it's not you know it's not like a 15 20 minute process like that's a good that's a good like six seven eight hours of of quite an intense experience i can only imagine mm-hmm. um what are you in that process are you laying down most of the time or are you mm-hmm. encouraged to uh to to explore with like a, a you know a sitter or like how, yeah. how what does that look like so once uh so i took my first two and a half grams and for most of the rest of the session, from the outside, it's really not that entertaining. I put on a pair of uh, headphones, I put on a blindfold, and uh, for me, I tried to meditate while I was waiting for the mushrooms to take effect. Mm. So first dose at 11.30 in the morning, waited uh, 45 minutes, uh, then I took another, <clears throat> so first dose, 2.5 grams, then another 2.5 grams 45 minutes later, and then another two grams uh, 45 minutes after that. Okay. So just uh, waiting for the uh, the mushrooms to take effect. Meditating. So you, said, you said from the outside it looked pretty boring. but Well, you know, I got headphones on and a blindfold. <laughs> but uh, with that experience of <laughs> meditating for you, as it started, as you started to feel it, I mean, you've never done something like this before. No. What, no. Like, what were you starting to observe? Like, what was what was happening in the beginning? Yeah, you know, for me, the uh, the transition into uh, the psychedelic state for me was a lot more gentle than what most people describe it as. Uh, and I don't know whether that's because, you know, I have a lot of experience using cannabis uh, or a lot of experience meditating or a little bit of both. But uh, I found it to be a fairly gentle transition, unlike what a lot of people experience. You know, a lot mm. of people experience uh, at least some traumatic emotional things that they have to deal with. Mm. And I listened to the music. The music created these uh, really immersive <laughs> spaces. So three-dimensional spaces with mm. uh, physical things in them. And then my consciousness became those spaces. Wow. What kind of music were you listening to? It was uh, the Johns Hopkins playlist. So from the Johns Hopkins studies, you can actually go online and get the playlist that they use for their psilocybin sessions. No way. Could, like, wow, could I access amazing. that right now? Is that like a... Or like, you or could is that... pop on Spotify and, uh, and find that, yeah. Wow. No way. That is wild. So there's a, a combination that. of uh, different uh, classical music, some uh, uh, Norwegian drums, death chanting. metal. You know, um, I'm thinking probably no death metal, but <laughs> even just by nature of the name, if you don't want to bring on the anxiety, anxiety inducing properties of, of hey man, death. working through the ideas and concepts of death and passing on death metal, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm off. Are you? Are you? Is there? Is it? Is it completely? Is it completely a? A solitary experience are you being prompted in any mm-hmm. way by by the therapist or anything or is mm. it headphones uh eye mask and and just mm-hmm. and we're here with you 
you're safe, have your experience. For, uh, for my particular session, uh, my therapist very much believes in the idea of the internal healer. So, uh, and I kind of follow along with that thinking. And the premise behind it is, uh, you know how you are messed up. You know what your problems are and you know what your challenges are that you deal with. You know, you're, when you're uh, not doing anything else, what are the things that creep into your head and, and cause you anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. You know that. So for my session, what they prefer to do is to just let you be very introspective and whatever happens in the experience is exactly what needs to happen in the experience. Mm. So, you know, if you, if you happen to get uh, eaten by a grizzly bear in the experience, the idea is that you should really embrace getting eaten by the grizzly bear and mm-hmm. accept it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and based on what I have learned about the way that the uh, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy works, that really makes total sense. Um, I've got kind of a, a nutshell explanation of that if you guys are at all interested. Absolutely. 1,000%. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> so my understanding of the way that this uh, psychedelic psychotherapy works is like this. Have you guys heard of the default mode network? I'm assuming that you may have, but uh, for anybody who has not, uh, when you're born, your mind is largely a blank slate. So as you experience things in life, you start to make connections between places. And this, uh, the location that is responsible for most of these interconnections within your brain is an area that we refer to as the default mode network. So responsible for connections between uh, how your vision connects to memory, your uh, associations of yourself when you're thinking about past or present. So things like that all take place through this default mode network. Now, when you take a a psychedelic that is based in the same family as uh, psilocybin or LSD, DMT, any of that family, they literally put this default mode network to sleep. So they lower the amount of blood flow to those particular areas of the brain and the activity in those areas shuts down. So now the place that is responsible for steering traffic between place A and place B no longer is restricting who can talk to who. And this is kind of what happens that causes the uh, hallucinations and the synesthetic effects. So people who can now uh, hear a color or, you know, uh, taste a smell or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. So once we put this uh, network to sleep, we take the ego, which is part of that, out of the way. And you now have access directly to the subconscious where all of your problems are. Things in your subconscious are very iconified. So, uh, you know, people who are having a bad trip, uh, what is happening there is that is just the spot of your brain that identifies with uh, this is uh, danger, problem, uncomfortable, embarrassing, whatever it happens to be for you. That is just an iconified version of that. And the act of accepting or embracing whatever that scary thing is makes a physical connection between the scary thing and the I can deal with this or I'm okay or I accept this part of your brain. It makes a physical new circuit between those two things. So when is that the psychedelic- neurogenesis? Yes. Uh, so you, neuroplasticity, neurogenesis. 
Um, so you get a physical new circuit. And when the default mode network comes back online again, after the uh, psychedelic wears off, that circuit still exists. Mm -hmm. Following the psychedelic therapy, uh, following the, the uh, psychedelic session, I should say, there is an integration therapy part. So you talk about the experience and, and you reinforce this pathway. Mm. And the more you reinforce that pathway, the better lasting effect you have of relief from whatever you happen to be suffering from. Does that, does that integration happen like immediately after as you're coming down or is that a separate session that you go away and then mm -hmm. come back and do an integration session? Yep. We spent uh, probably about uh, an hour, an hour and a half doing integration as I was coming down from the uh, psilocybin. And uh, the following day, we spent a good part of the next day doing that integration as well. Mm -hmm. What does the what does that process look like? Is that um, is that through through journaling or is it through conversational dialogue with you and your 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 psychotherapist? Mm -hmm. Is it through different prompts? A, a number of different avenues for myself. Uh, so largely conversation with your therapist. I also do a video blog for myself just to record uh, things that sort of have occurred to me during the day. Mm. The experience, although you know was only oh, six to eight hours for me, still has sort of aha moments for me, even weeks later. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. How did your outlook change? How did your anxiety change after going through this experience and the integration and, and everything mm. afterward? Mm -hmm. You know, I was honestly quite skeptical uh, myself. You know, read the numbers, 80% success rate in Johns Hopkins. Uh, you know, listen to people who have been through the experience. You know, the whole nine yards, I was still skeptical that it would make a difference for me. And let me tell you, the, the night after, like, the sleep that I had after my first psilocybin session was so incredible. I mean, I slept in until 7.30 in the morning. You have any idea the last time that happened. It's amazing. And every single night since, uh, I, I go to sleep. I, you know, if I have to wake up to you know, go to the bathroom or something in the middle of the night, I get right back to sleep again. Mm. Um, so just the the healing that I have with extra sleep alone is mm. worth the price of admission. But right. that's not all. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> yes, OxyClean. Give it to me. <laughs> I have what I would consider to be a, a really busy head. You know, I'm, a, I'm an IT person. I, I have a lot going on. And, you know... Uh, being an overachiever in the anxiety department was 
definitely uh, on my uh, on my agenda unwillingly. And with the uh, the psilocybin during that session, the uh, I'm going to say that what I experienced was serenity. Okay, mm. and prior to the experience, I didn't really have an appreciation for what that word actually means. Mm. And I mean, it is not just a feeling of silence and peace. It goes so far beyond that. And although I haven't been able to get to the same spaces, of course, without using a, a psychedelic, I find that in my day-to-day -day life, I have a flavor of it. Mm. So it's very easy for me to just not have the busy junk that clutters up your head. You know, uh, the would have, could have, should have about past things or the what ifs for future stuff. I find it's very, very easy for me to just remain in this moment and focus on what's happening and enjoy what's going on. You know, I, I'm, mm. I'm not distracted by the day-to-day -day clutter. It's really, it's really interesting because I think of as somebody who has recently started seeing a therapist, I, I like hearing you recount this experience. Mm -hmm. I think like, wow, having access to psychedelics for me with and to use them with my therapist as like, you know, if I had the experience of doing this like psychedelic type of meditation almost, mm -hmm. and then working on the integrations with my therapist, I feel like that would be so effective. I almost kind of like liken it, or I could use the analogy of like it would be like if you went to the gym and never used weights you were only using body weights and then all of a sudden somebody was like oh and here's now you can use these machines and these weights and now lift <laughs> these and they're gonna help you know make you so much more stronger than you thought you could you ever could be but um it's interesting because like the the thing that i connect most deeply with is this idea that when you take psychedelic when you take psilocybin like this you remove the ego and the ego mm -hmm is when you're when you're sitting in a therapy session even though you're trying to be open and as honest as you can with your therapist because Ooh. you know that that's what's going to get you the best result out of seeing this person and that's what they're sitting here in front of you for it's still so hard to turn that ego off it's still always present there so having a tool to get a layer deeper than that could be i just Ooh. imagine being so profoundly powerful mm -hmm. now imagine if you went to your therapist and think of all of the things that people deny to themselves, right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, if you, can't, if you can't open up to yourself about what's going on with you, how could you ever open up to your therapist? And the great thing about the psychedelic-assisted therapy is that it literally takes the ego right out of the way, yeah. physically, mm -hmm. So it's very difficult to hide from yourself when yourself is off in a closet someplace. Mm -hmm. You said that you had these three these three um, questions you wanted to ask going in. Do, yes. you, do you feel like you got answers to any of those or all of them? Or what, what did that look like? That was interesting because immediately after my session, I was really kind of under the impression that what I got was actually a fourth thing. Hmm. Um, and for me, that was an understanding that, you know, this uh, universe that we exist in is not necessarily the only universe that consciousness can exist in. Mm. And uh, for me, having my consciousness exist in ways that were other than 
the uh, Thomas that I normally identify with, uh, was a very comforting thought to me because mm. I didn't have any frame of reference for how it would be possible for me to be anything that wasn't me. And, you know, where, yeah. where I currently feel like, yes, my questions were answered and a fourth one, which I feel like I just didn't think of asking, but should have. Um, for me, the idea that there is something more than just this physical existence that we have is now a very physical, identifiable thing for me. Yeah. I mean, there's no question for me at all that uh, this frame of reference that we have is not the only frame of reference that there is. Mm. I, <clears throat> I, had, um, I had a very similar experience um, in so I, I live with a, a fatal lung disease and ah. a few years back I I purposely went um went down a, a path of taking um five MEO DMT <clears throat> on a as a guided trip um with uh with someone who was administering it and going into it I I, I sort of had a similar uh, set of questions that you did, but coming out of that experience afterwards, it was very, I, I, it was almost the exact same sentiment that you just said right there, which was, um, basically I went in wanting to experience, wanting to know, wanting to just be okay with surrendering to death mm -hmm. and like, and, and approaching that experience like a death in and of itself. Yep. But when I came, when I came out of that experience, it was, I was so overwhelmed with this, this sense of like rebirth where it was, it was, it was like the first time in my life where I, I, I remember looking at my hands and just thinking, holy shit, what a, what, what a miraculous existence we live in. What a, what a, what a, what a, an amazing thing to be able to like touch the things that surround me. What an amazing ability to see the the colors of the trees and to see the sky. What what a what a what a fantastic time it is to be able to smell and taste mm -hmm. and to you know to love somebody or to to feel things. <clears throat> and and that was really overwhelming. But then when that started to settle, there was this this thought of like, and holy moly, there's there's so much more than these senses there's so much more than touch and feel and sight and taste and there is there's this other plane of existence that like i you know I, I, I it's funny i went into that experience as like a staunch atheist and i came mm -hmm. out um not theistic by any means but i i most certainly didn't come out of that experience identifying as atheistic i it was mm -hmm. it, it it completely changed my opinion on on what it means to live and die and, and what possibly exists on the other side of, of passing on. Like it was, it's really, <clears throat> and I, I love hearing that, that, that you had a, you know, a somewhat similar experience there. Mm -hmm. um, well, there, it's that it's the, uh, it's, it's what you, it's what you kind of finished off that last piece with Thomas, the, that the frame of reference by which we live our, mm. you know, m most of our days, you know, 99.9% .9 of our days is not the only frame of reference in which to <clears throat> view 
what this world is, what our existence is, what all these, and, and it's the, it's, it's a, it's sort of the, it's sort of the je ne sais quoi of, of, of the psychedelic experience that is always is that very French? challenging. That's a, that's a, that's a small French term that I picked up uh, in my oh, years well. of, in my years of, uh, in my years of speaking, uh, the, oh. that ro- romantic language and, culture. and I know I, I can't help it. And, <laughs> and you, it, you, that it's, it's this thing that you can't, it's hard to put your finger on. It's like, I've kind of thought about it as, looking at life through a different lens or, you know, we look at it from this direction and it allows you to look at it from that direction instead. And, and, you know, how much different things look from just a slightly different angle or, and trying to put your finger on how, yeah, we are, we are, we are looking at life through a, through a, um, through a a fairly narrow window Mm-hmm. And there are and 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 there are other windows. There are other there are other angles, and and that realization is is extremely profound. And and it's it's why when I said earlier that when I found out that this is something that is being looked at to use in therapy in therapeutic uses, I, I was like, of course, of course, it is. Mm-hmm. It makes total sense because every time I've ever experienced it, it's been therapeutic for me on some level. And um and you know I I. I, um, in, in Michael Pollan's book, how to change your mind, you know, they talk about it in two different veins. They talk about it in the, in the, in the vein of how to, how to use it as a treatment, how to use it as a therapy for people Mm -hmm. who are experiencing anxiety, depression, end of life. Um, and then also as a supplement to people who might not be experiencing life, uh, or might not be having an issue per se, but are, but could use it in the same way that we've been talking a lot about. We talk a lot about on this show about having, um, about using therapy not only as a treatment when some when something is wrong, quote unquote, um, but also as supplementing um, your life when things are just how they are. That there, you know, Ooh. there's that therapy can be very beneficial and useful when um, you know mm-hmm. when things are at the status quo and it seems sure. like there's nothing that's really that. That, uh, are you uh, are you experiencing life to the maximum that you could be? Right. Yeah. And, and the idea, and that was the other thing that the, that Michael Pollan's book deals with is is um, not only using psychedelics as a therapeutic, but also as like in a therapeutic way to enhance our our experience, our our understanding of of <laughs> what we are and who we are and and what we're here for and and or like the goals that mm-hmm. we want to goals that we mm-hmm. want to reach and mm-hmm. and ex- how we want to experience relationships and what we want to get out of relationships and like all these mm-hmm. all these incredible things and um yeah i think i i i i'm i'm really really um happy that we got to sit down and have this conversation and and, and with you and get your get your experience on it because i think it's um i think it's something that needs to i and i i just hope that just putting this conversation out into the world is something that allows this experience to come to, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of more of more of people that are that might they be sitting it. in your shoes mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and dealing with anxiety and uh, you know dealing with um, you know a, a diagnosis PTSD, of some kind, depression. whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. and and get to experience the benefit that it not only brings to how you're experiencing coming towards um, dealing with an illness, but also. You know, it seems like what you're saying to us, Thomas, is that it's not just that. It's 
it's it's like everything. Yeah. Mm. You know, I, I would have to say that the way that it has affected my overall outlook has been pretty profound. I'm not going to lie. Um, and I'm normally a very positive person. You know, mm. if you uh, if you know me before uh, my diagnosis or anything, I am probably the most positive person that I know. And this whole anxiety thing was really foreign to me, I got to tell you. Mm. Like, it's like I had no tools in my tool shed for dealing with this. Mm. And for somebody who has no tools to be able to deal with this in such a positive and solid way, uh, if it works for me, it can work for so many other people. Yeah. Yeah. Is is that um, is 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 it just one experience, and it has that much of a profound effect, or do they mm-hmm. like do they recommend that you do this multiple times, or how mm-hmm. how does that work afterwards? You know, it's going to be different for different people. In my particular instance, I have literally had one psychedelic session. And that one session so far has been enough to make me feel like, uh, yep, do I feel like I could get some more out of a session? Probably, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I would honestly not mind having another one just to uh, just to see what I could further get out of it. Right. But... If I did not have another session, the level of anxiety that I currently feel is very negligible. I mean, did, I, I went from a 36 to a 6. Mm. A 6. Wow. 6. Wow. Like, I, I wouldn't say I'm anywhere over that 6. Mm. Literally, the, the morning, like Whoa. the day of my psychedelic session, uh, zero. Absolutely zero on the anxiety scale. Mm. And And... To say that I'm at a six now, I, I think would probably be generous on the anxiety side. Right. I really have not felt a uh, an anxiety attack since I have had that psilocybin, and it used to be a daily thing for me. Right. It, the, the fact that you've been <clears throat> that you've been granted um, the 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 right Exemption? to use psilocybin. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are you are you is that is this now something that you're able to to do again and again and again, or, um, mm-hmm. or is that like, you know, what's the, yep. what's the protocol there? So the, the specific wording on the, on the exemption is not a free for all, you know, use sure. it anytime you like, take as much as you want, you know, it, it, uh, you want. it doesn't work like that. <laughs> right. sure. You know, this is, this is a regulated thing. This is, you know, a, a medical assistance. So, mm-hmm. um, the, the exemption is for the next year. Um, I can use that as many times as I need to right. under the supervision of a medical professional each time. So, okay. uh, you know, I can't just, uh, woohoo, it's Saturday, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't work like that. But if I feel that I do need to have another session, then I can just uh, contact my therapist and make arrangements and no problem at all. That is exactly right. how it works. Is and is there, microdosing is microdosing like a has that ever come up in, in the conversation between you and your therapist or yep. or, or oh, yes. through the between, studies as like an option to Yep, uh, between myself and my therapist, microdosing definitely an option on the table. Hmm. And uh, that is certainly something that I have looked into and think would be probably uh, beneficial as well. Hmm. I have uh, talked to a lot of people who have uh, said that they get good results out of that, and I believe that it's 
similar but a longer duration. So mm, yeah. regular yeah. therapy can take place over years. Yeah. Um, microdosing can reduce the time of that therapy to, say, months. Mm. And uh, a high-dose psilocybin session can make it a matter of days. Wow. Thomas, this is uh, <clears throat> this has been exactly what I was hoping for it to be. Uh, you have uh, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you so much. And uh, I really I really do hope that people out there listening, the skeptics. I hope the skeptics are out there listening with their ears wide open and their hearts wide open because I think you're a perfect example of how and and why this is so so vitally important. Um, and I think you know. I, I really do feel hopeful. I feel really optimistic about uh, the fact that we're, I do think we're headed in, in the right direction when it comes to um, psychedelics being used as forms of therapy. And uh, I can't wait to see what the future holds for us. So thank you for, for, for being one of the first and, uh, and for, for generously sharing your experience with us today. Well, thank you very much. It has been uh, awesome meeting you guys and uh, I had a blast. Sweet. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Thomas. There we go. That was Thomas Hartle. Uh, What a magnificent moment in time that we live in. To talk to a human who is granted access to use psychedelics as a medicine, uh, because I think that's hella important. Um, and I think Thomas is the bee's knees. You know what else is important? What's that? Um, following our content that we produce. Oh, yeah. Go to yeah. at Sick Boy Podcast on Twitter and Instagram if you want more of that shit. More what uh, shit? More of that shit. Yeah, tell us, Daddy. More uh, don't don't no nope. no no no. Oh, no. sorry, you I can't was say no. You can't nope. say Daddy to me nope. in any inflection other than just Daddy. No, no, ex- Daddy. No, 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 no. No excitement. Sure? No, no sass. None of that. Come on, I don't, Daddy. Tell them about the. Tell them no. about the socials. No, go to at Sick Boy Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, or just hit us up on Facebook. You can get more content there. We're with you every Monday and Friday, where you find podcasts. And if you've got any questions, or you've got any comments, uh, or just really amazing stories that you want to share with us, you can send them directly via email to letters at sickboypodcast.com. Or if you want to be on the show, if you want to apply to be on the show, go to sickboypodcast.com slash contact and submit that application. We read each and every one of them. They come through and, uh, and, and maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll have you on the show. Maybe. Maybe. And Sick Boy Podcast is co-produced <laughs> by Lauren Sankey, Taylor McGilvery, Jeremy Saunders, and Brian Stever. Sick Boy is also managed by Jeff Lonis. The sound design for this podcast is done by Donovan, the Meerkat Morgan, with incredible theme music by Take Part. Thank you so much for listening to this show today. That was very NPR of you. Uh, that is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. You flip your hands.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.